Welcome to the Food Junkies podcast. Here, we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of professionals actively working on the front lines in the field of food addiction. The purpose of our show is to educate you, the listener, and increase overall awareness about food addiction as a disease with abstinence as the solution. Here, we talk about all things recovery. Most importantly, how to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, make a change for yourself, tell others about your change, and hopefully the message will spread. Oh, Food Junkies listeners, Clarissa here, and do we have a super special episode and surprise for you today. In 2024, you are going to get more episodes of Food Junkies podcast, and these ones will all be based on personal recovery stories to help motivate and inspire you. Today, we are going to introduce you to your new co-host of what we are calling Food Junkies Recovery from Food Addiction Stories with CJ Nye. When CJ approached us with this idea to share personal stories of recovery from our listener base or from Vera's Sugar-Free for Life, I'm Sweet Enough Facebook group, we loved the idea. What a beautiful way for people in our communities to share what they are doing and help spread the message that recovery is possible. Food Junkies listeners will now get two bonus episodes a month of personal recovery stories. And spoiler alert, CJ will be interviewing each one of us first. In fact, today she's taking a crack at it, so stay tuned. If you're interested in being a guest on this upcoming series, please reach out to CJ at capital FJR, so that's Food Junkies, and then recovery stories at gmail.com. We will put the link in the show notes. And if you email her there, she'll send a link to the podcast guest form for you to complete. So excited to support you more in 2024. Now enjoy the show. All right, CJ, we're so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Hey, so can you share with our audience a little bit about your journey in food addiction and with recovery? Oh, I am so excited about this opportunity. I have always talked pretty openly about my struggles because they have been around for so long. I remember struggling very young with the food that was in the house and how I could eat it or couldn't eat it. And I remember being put on my first diet when I was 13 years old. And so with those things going on, and I was always a very good dieter. I mean, like, If you told me what I was supposed to eat and what I couldn't eat, I was right there and I could do it. But something would happen. I'd reach my goal weight or whatever the case may be. And then I would just want to incorporate a few little treats. And I'm using air quotes. And I would be back off to the races again. And I could never figure out why I couldn't stay there. And one of the things that was always innately important to me, I was just born I was always interested in the body and how it worked, and I liked exercise, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't stay in a right-sized body. And my weight would yo-yo 60 pounds easily and sometimes more than that. So it wasn't until I had a very close, dear friend end up in recovery for another addiction issue, and I was their support mentor, and I would show up to all of their meetings and, and stuff with them. And some things that they were saying were starting to kind of click for me, but I did not have time at that time to deal with it. I was, life was just happening too fast. I was in a really acute phase of life where I was the support person for a lot of people and I couldn't really 
get on board with that. But after everything calmed down and I started looking at different things that were going on in my life, I was like, this is a real problem. And it was then that I started addressing it. And that's when I started absorbing information. And I read this book. It was by Gretchen Rubin. It's called Better Than Before. I love this book so much because it's not a diet book or a nutrition book or anything like that. But she explained in there about moderators versus abstainers. And I had never heard of that before. But what I did know about myself is that it was so much easier for me to abstain from certain things, whether it's an activity or foods or whatever. And so when I learned that and knew it was a thing, then I started looking in other areas. The next thing I found, someone suggested Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, and I went and I read it. I first listened to it, then I bought the book and then highlighted it. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the missing piece that I had been looking for. So for me personally, when I found out about um, food addiction, I found it very empowering and freeing because at that moment I realized that it was nothing that was wrong with me, that there was nothing to be fixed, that I had an issue that could be addressed and there was ways to make my life easier. And that is what I set about doing is finding the helpers to go find the people who could help me with my food addiction. And that started me on my journey. That really got it, the ball rolling really quickly. So what is it that made you want to come on board and help host this podcast? How did you make that transition from this is my personal journey, this is my recovery story, and now this is my next step? How did you get there? So when I started in on, on my journey, I was absorbing. I've always been a lover of podcasts. I've always loved them. I love finding out information. It's really hard for me to sit and read read books, although I do that now. That's one of my coping skills. It what I love information. I love finding about how people live their lives. People are fascinating to me. And things that they find out about and learn about is a way to help other people. And it helped me. And when I first started on this journey about finding out about food addiction and stuff like that, I couldn't find any really recovery stories. Yes, they were mingled in here and there, but I would go on um, Dr. Tarman's board and there would be people that were asking for help. There were lots of people asking for help, but there weren't a lot of people saying, this is how I recovered. Maybe you can try this. And I do a lot of walking and meditating and I'm in the car a lot. And so that's when I would listen to the podcast. And I was like, gosh, you know what? If people would just talk about their stories, you know, you would hear tidbits in there that would help you maybe with something you're going through today. And I thought, wow, that'd be really great if there was a podcast like that. And it had been rolling around in my head for quite some time. And I never really had anybody to really tell about it. But then just in passing, like really, it was really just in passing. I mentioned it to Clarissa and that was just about two and a half weeks ago. But what I know about it is that when you have a passion for something and you breathe life into it, you speak it out loud, people show up. And I feel really blessed and honored because this is something that is near and dear to my heart. I get kind of emotional about it because I can help the next person. And that's ultimately why I wanted to do this is to help the next person is to reach back, 
grab the next hand and say, you can do it too. So ultimately it's about hope. That's great. Thank you so much, CJ. You've got this podcast envisioned. What's going to be unique about your podcast? What When listeners are looking at the various options that they have, what are they going to get when they listen to your podcast? Ultimately, it's about hope. And hearing about other people's story, the struggles, how they've overcome some of those struggles, it's really more of a like a relaxed conversation about what their recovery journey has been like. And it'll offer ultimately the hope and it'll also, it will the imperfection of recovery and self-compassion. That is what I ultimately want to the listener to hear and that we don't have to be perfect. Like consistency is way more important than perfectionism. Like perfectionism doesn't even hit the mark. Like that's not even a thing. And I think for me, I really struggled with that because if I couldn't do it exactly the way it was supposed to be done, then it was all bets were off. I just can't do this. And so I want to offer that hope that it doesn't have to be perfect or even we're remotely close to it. Yeah. So you're not speaking from the expert point of view. I guess that's what we're doing. We're speaking to the experts. You're speaking to the people that are affected by the experts and what their experience is. Yes, this is very relatable. Like, what is your life like? The conversations will be like, what is your day-to-day life look like in recovery? How have you recovered? How have you found peace with your drug foods? What is it that you did to help yourself and ultimately find other people to help you? It's the hope. Yeah, I love that. And I think it will definitely highlight the different experiences of each person, which shows you that there's not just one way to recover. And I love that what you said about the consistency, because it is about the consistency over time, not the intensity with which, you know, the fever we do diets with, right? It's like learning how to do the things we need to do every day for ourselves in a loving way. So I'm already and excited to hear this show. So can you share with our audience, what are some other things that they should know about you? Like who is CJ? Oh, thanks for asking. So this is the fun. I'm a mother. This is, and a wife. I just celebrated 25 years of, of marriage. I have four children ranging in age from 15 to 24. I have four dogs that are all rescues and come with their own personalities And I have always loved working out. I'm one of those crazy road cyclists. I love uh, riding my bike on the road with the cars and everybody thinks you're crazy for doing it, but I'm riding in groups and stuff like that. And I really love it. At the age of 50, I became an Ironman, which is a long distance triathlon, which was very fun for me. And so really my life is built around my family. I do most things that most moms do run the errands and go to the parties and see all the people. I have a very full life. I'm very blessed by a great church home. I love my church so much. My family and I, we like to volunteer and spend time helping in our community. And I've lived in the same house for 25 years. I can't even believe it's been that long, but every one of my children have come home to the same house. And it's just a big, beautiful life that has I'm so grateful for so many things that are part of my life. And what I've learned in recovery is that even when things aren't going well, there is 
plenty to be grateful for. But not only that, there's ways of managing that. And that was kind of a missing piece for me. I was very distress intolerant. I would have a schedule set up for how uh, life was supposed to go that day and or maybe even for that week. And with my husband's schedule and with the children's schedule, things would start changing and I just couldn't cope. And that's when the wine and the chocolate would come out. And I didn't even realize that that was my coping skill. Like that was what it was. I had I was completely oblivious that I was using that as a coping skill. I mean, I'd heard the word coping skills, but it just didn't seem like I had any. I either was blowing up and trying to blend everybody to my will, or I was numbing myself with chocolate and, and wine. And once I figured out that those things were part and parcel for my the way my addiction was going, I set about changing those things. And I'm just so blessed to have been able to find great helpers that would help me learn how to navigate life on life's terms, because I surely wasn't doing that very well at all. Absolutely. So thinking about this new kind of segment of the podcast being more relatable and building hope and just like real lives and real stories and hearing about, you know, some things that maybe we didn't already know about you. Is there anything today that, you know, like currently, not necessarily today specifically, but just currently that you're, you know, that you're working on that, you know, we might call a quote unquote struggle just something, you know, relatable to anybody who might be listening. Like, what does CJ struggle with today? I just talked about my distress intolerance. So that is still an ongoing issue that I work with every day. And sometimes I pick up on it quicker than others. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I, I'm just, I'm having trouble and I need to call somebody and talk this through. The other area is I am a huge people pleaser. I have to want everybody to like me and I'm getting much better at it, but it's still an area where I, I do struggle in and setting up boundaries. So those would be the three areas that I really work in. I'm not good. I call myself being very flexible. Other people would call that as not having good boundaries. And so I try to like figure out ways to make it where I can still be a little bit flexible, but also have a boundary. So sometimes for me, I have to put the boundary really far out and then realize that that didn't work well. It didn't turn out so well for me. And so I have to bring it in a little bit closer next time. So those are the areas that really, those are my daily struggles. Right. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit more about your recovery, your food addiction recovery, and what are some things that you learned in your food addiction recovery, like coping skills that have made a difference, that made that was the thing that really got me over the line, as it were, or that keeps me sober now? Yeah. So for me, I'm a big doer. I don't kind of like sit down and like meditate and journal. Oh my gosh, journaling. Oh, if one more person said you might want to journal about that, I thought I was going to poke them in the eye. But I do find that I can journal. Like when I have a really big issue, if I'm struggling with something, I can sit down with my feelings wheel, which I thought was probably going to be used more for a coaster as opposed to than I was actually going to use it. But I actually have found it to be quite useful. I can sit down with my feelings wheels and I can walk it through. And the other thing is a lot of times I was scared of saying things out loud because I was scared of how it was going to make me look. But with coaches, I can say, this is how I really feel. Like, this is where it is. And they can go, oh, 
you know, I understand that. That makes sense. But I was always scared like I was going to be struck down. I was not going to be a good person. I was. And so but now I can put words, vocabulary to my feelings has been the biggest change because before I just felt like I was had to be in this box where I always had to be nice. I always had to be kind. I couldn't have any other emotions. And if you had any other emotions, the way that I was raised, it felt like those were not ladylike. Those were you were being unkind. You were being the big B word. So the coping skills that I use on a regular basis now are I do journal, not often, but I do journal. But my go-to daily ones are meditation. I love meditation. I feel like no matter what's going on with me that day, it usually I will figure it out in meditation or I'll be sent something that will give me a clue as to what I'm going through. So the meditation. Also with the distression tolerance, one of the things that I figured out is while I don't weigh and measure my food anymore, I have in the past, I don't weigh and measure my food anymore. I have a set meal plan for the day. And so with where that comes into play with distress and tolerance is I know that I will have food at about this time and then I won't have to think about it so I can deal with the other things. A lot of times I was doing like I have been an intermittent faster in the past and I would ignore all the hunger cues and then then things would go wrong. And then I would find myself eating way more than I had ever planned to and not stop because now not only am I hungry and I'm eating so much, but I'm also emotionally not there. And so it's just, I was just putting way too much energy into my body and expecting a different outcome. And so, but because I have, I went through the foundations course with sweet sobriety, which was amazing. Like that helped me so much because I was able to understand a lot of things that I was going through. Like, I thought they were just unique to me. I didn't figure out that a lot of people were struggling with these issues. And so once I found out there was a universal, not maybe universal to you specifically on how to handle that, but that this is a universal issue, then I felt more normal. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, if lots of people have this problem, then I can figure it out. I can figure out how to help myself. And so those were kind of the daily coping skills. The other thing is that I talk more and I realize I talk a lot in general, but now I talk a lot in the way that I'm feeling, like I can put vocabulary and also I can hear what other people are saying and I can figure out how that relates. So I can go back and I can say to my husband, I'm like, this is what how I'm feeling. This is what's going on with me. And I don't think that he has to solve it. I can just put vocabulary to it and I can move through my day and address it myself. I feel empowered to help myself. I love that. It sounds like you've like almost learned a new recovery language that is so true to you. And so that is so beautiful. I am wondering, do you have a signature question that you will be asking future guests who are going to come on and share their food addiction recovery story with you? I do. I'm so excited about this. I have brainstormed about it. And so the signature question is going to be, if your body or spirit could speak, what would it say about the changes you have made on your journey? 
I love that so much. I think you're going to get some really insightful answers there. And I also think it's going to be different for everyone. And I think, again, that that's that hope piece you're speaking to. Yeah, I'm super excited about finding out what speaks to each person in their journey and how their journey can help other people. And the other thing, too, is it's so intertwined. It's not that's where the missing piece for me was because I was always on a diet. So I always thought it was about the food. And what I found out in this journey is that why, yes, I had to get rid of the drug foods that were lighting my brain up like a Christmas tree. It was more than that. And so it will be the lifelong love of journey of learning more and more about myself and helping the next person. All right, CJ, we are going to flip the script now, and we are going to let you embrace your new role as interviewer, and you get to ask us some questions today. So please take it away. This is going to be fun because I'm going to get some insight that I didn't even know that I wanted to know until I asked these questions. So, and our audience can listen as well. So the first question I want to ask is, are there any standout interviews or topics that left a lasting impact on you? So over the last three, you know, seasons, three years. Okay. Well, I can certainly think of a few. So one of them was when I got the chance to interview Amy Reichelt. She really took my focus away from just focusing on the dopamine and look a little bit more into opiate receptors, but also the other ways that sugar affects our brain. So that was really insightful for me. Also her speaking a bit about the influence psychedelics can have on rewiring the serotonin pathway. I always enjoy speaking to David Wiss, and I think we li- we probably talked to him the most out of anyone, three times, I think. And every time he speaks, I think about things differently. So I love when people challenge maybe a belief I had. Also, Anne Biasetti, Molly and I interviewed her, and then I took her course on befriending your body, and then I went and got professionally trained in it. Because like you were speaking about tuning into the hunger and fullness signals, I was so disconnected from my body prior to starting to do some of that somatic work. And by taking her course, it has largely influenced my ability to recover my nervous system regulation. It is, it has become a huge focus of my recovery lately. I loved our conversation with Anna Lemke, Dr. Anna Lemke. Her compassion for people with addiction really spoke to me. Also, Brenda Wollenberg, we did that DNA, and I found that she really validated that the path I was on with my eating was the right path. Also knowing like I don't have to play around with my food anymore or be tempted to like buy into maybe a ketogenic or carnivore because just because of the way my body doesn't handle saturated fat as well. So that was very powerful. And then the last interview Vera and I did with Christopher Van Tulliken, it really gave me hope. It fully validated what we are doing in trying to get ultra processed foods addressed as a public health issue. And so for me, those were definitely my takeaway interviews from the last seasons. Thank you. What about you, Molly? Yeah, I feel like this question like sets me up for failure just a little bit because I suck at memory stuff, right? Like my memory is just shot. Thanks, CPTSD. (laughs) 
So I'd have to agree with some of the names that Clarissa's already mentioned, Dr. David Wiss, Dr. Anna Lemke. You know, I think that like our interviews, well, just the one interview for the podcast with like Jonathan Cranford, you know, we've remained colleagues and we've remained in touch. I even got to meet him in person not that long ago. He was in Montana and he's just as wonderful of a person in person as he is you know, when you're interviewing him for a podcast, he's just so genuine and authentic. And that's the kind of thing I think that leaves a big lasting impression on me. He just really genuinely wants to help people. And I think he has such a unique, maybe not quite a unique story, but he's unique in that he's a man in this space willing to share his story, which I think is really important because we don't have enough male voices. I think that Dr. Nicola Vina is always somebody who leaves a lasting impression. Just every time I talk to her, I learn something new and she's so willing to have discourse that it really helps me to grow as a person. Dr. Stefan Guianet comes to mind too. He's so brilliant. He writes and talks about craving. He's a neuroscientist who researches craving. And I think he's just so very smart about how our brain is wired for that and, and describing and explaining it to make it very relatable and take away shame. Oh my goodness. Dr. Erica Schulte or Erica Lafada now. She's recently been married. She's another one of my my favorites that has probably last left a lasting impression. Just the research that she continues to do and how she is just so like it's real, right? Like food addiction is real. And when you talk to her, it's like not a question. And I really appreciated that about her in all of her interviews and then continuing conversations as well. I'm kind of drawing a blank on others. There have just been so many amazing ones. Mary Frances O'Connor came and talked to us about grief, which I think was really impactful for me because it was shortly after my dad had passed. And it was so interesting because the interview was set up before he had passed. So that was really neat to learn about grief and why we struggle with it, you know, as human beings and how that kind of can play out in coping and food and addiction in general. Dr. Claire Wilcox, of course, is a favorite especially when she came and talked about her book. It's amazing. Again, just so many to pick from. I could go on and on. Vincent Santiago, who's in Toronto doing research on food addiction and just is very well-spoken and just, again, validates the work that we're doing. Yeah, I don't know. Vera, what about you? Who sticks out to you? Yes, I have to admit, I it feels a bit like an exam to remember all these things. And yeah, my memories. I think the thing that I want to say that has been really wonderful with Food Junkies and our guests is we get to interview people that we're really keen on. And there's some names of people that I've lived with over my years, Byron Katie, for example, that just, it's like, I have a good reason to call and talk to her. It's like a card to get into their living room and talk to them and, you know, free because thanks to COVID. Gary Tobes, I spent years trying to get his attention. Like I literally went to one of his events and almost threw my book at him and said, hey, and he has such a team around him and I couldn't penetrate through. But there we got him in his living room, thanks to COVID and thanks to this podcast. So Byron Katie, I was happy about. Mark Lewis is another example of somebody I've known for years, super thrilled. Chris Van Tullican, like, oh my God, like he spoke to us because of this group. And so we get to hear from their experience and we get to ask our questions. I mean, I know these people have done tons of podcasts, but with our the flavor of what we're interested in and, you know, we can challenge them with the concerns that we have is great. And the other good thing is, is that 
by our questions, they become aware of us, not just the podcast, but about the issue, about the book. It's like, oh, there are actually people talking about this that I didn't know about. It's like, well, you do now. So that was really great. So Michael Moss was another example. Like, thank you, Michael Moss, because now you know about us. Should you write another book, you're going to include food addiction, that kind of idea. Super glad that we could speak with Nina Teicholtz, like the whistleblowers, Callie Means. Again, how would I get that information other than by having this call saying, hey, you want to be on a podcast? Same with Michael Schetzker with the Dorito effect. So super pleased about those. And then the other thing that I really enjoyed is some of the issues that are not really pertinent, but are like THC, which tells us about the endocannabinoid system, which I think is going to become more and more of an issue. I got to speak to somebody, but I'm sure we're going to do more of that. Oxytocin. I can't remember the person who spoke um, about that from Sweden, but who knew that that was an area of study that might pertain to food addiction, but it does. The DNA stuff with Brenda Wollenberg, like again, learning stuff that is didn't start with being about food addiction, but food addiction has a place in that. And similarly with spirituality. So Anyway, I can say more about all of that a bit later with, you know, what we're looking forward to. But anyway, it's just been a a way to get into people's living rooms and pick their mind and then have them know about us. Thank you. That is awesome. Wow. Y'all had some really good answers. I was scribbling notes so fast because I think some of these I probably heard early on and just don't remember them. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to go back and listen to those again with all your neat inside perspectives on those guests. So thank you. Hey, Food Junkies listeners. We're just going to take a quick break here to share with you something our team thinks could help benefit your recovery with food, body, or self. Thank you again for listening. Hey, Food Junkie listeners. Have you read the book, Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction yet? It all starts there. This is the book with the basic theory and clinical knowledge of food addiction. Read this book first to get the basics. Our Food Junkies podcast jumps off from the book and is the ongoing breathing version, ever growing and ever expanding. Our podcast introduces you to all the issues of food addiction and the who's who of food addiction today. And if we at the Food Junkies podcast have inspired you to action, either to quit sugar or some other triggering foods or behavior, and you need some extra support, then please join the free Facebook group, I'm Sweet Enough Sugar Free for Life. There you will find a community of people who come from all parts of the spectrum, from the new and just starting out, to the long timers who call themselves food addicts in recovery, to counselors ready to give back and help you. The Facebook group even offers free support Zoom groups. Basically, it's a great online living resource of food addiction to help you stay sugar-free for life. So please join us. Now back to the show. If you have enjoyed this episode, please let us know. We love to hear from you. Kindly leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to our podcast on. We love getting feedback from our listeners. All right, here's the next question for you guys. Are there any dream guests you'd like to have on the podcast in the future? So yeah, definitely. I can certainly start. So I love what Vera was saying too, because I think we have the best job in the world. I look at my bookshelf and I've actually met, I would say 90% of the books on my shelf. And that to me is one of the greatest blessings of this job. 
So if I were to look at my bookshelf and see who I have not been able to speak to yet, it would be, I'm really interested in meeting Deb Dana, talking to her about nervous system regulation. I've always been a fan of Holly Whitaker. She wrote Quit Like a Woman. It's about alcohol, but if you replace alcohol with ultra processed foods, that is the exact story that if I could write a book, I would write it. I love Laura McCowan. She wrote a book, Push Off From Here, Annie Grace. They are all kind of in the alcohol space, but addiction space is what it is really, right? Brene Brown would be a dream guest. I know she doesn't eat sugar, flour, and I wish she would talk to us about it. That would be amazing. I would really want to interview Max Lukavir. That's also because I have a crush on him, but I think he has a great book. So like lots of valuable information, specifically about Alzheimer's. And Dr. Mark Hyman, I'm a huge fan of his, and he certainly was another person early on in my journey. I listened a lot to, and Kristen Neff. If we could get her to talk about self-compassion, those would be my dream guests. Oh, I, I, those would be dream guests. I like all of those people too. Wow, I can't wait to hear what Molly and Vera have to say about it. Okay, Molly, you're up. Again, I feel like this is a, like Vera said earlier, like a quiz a little bit. I would echo all of the ones Clarissa just said. I would add Gretchen Rubin. We've attempted to get her in the past and we're just not big enough. So I would add her. There is a gentleman named Michael Easter who's written a couple books that I really love and appreciate. I would love to get him on. And beyond that, I'm kind of drawing a blank, but that doesn't mean that I don't have dream guests. I'm just on the spot and I can't think right now of who those people might be. But I know Vera has some, I know she has a dream list. Yes. Again, Chrissy, you're very good with good names. Uh, So I, I like all of your ideas. My main thing right now is I think actually we're on the same page with this. We want to get some of these big names because they will broadcast us out. Somebody suggested as a joke, I think maybe it was real. I think I started it in the Facebook group about Oprah. I've been trying to get her and Ellen for years before Food Junkies. Just, you know, let's talk about food addiction, but I cannot penetrate their publicity team. But boy, would it be nice to get one of them because that would just shoot us into the stratosphere. So she is on my, even though she's no longer doing her show, she's doing that damn Weight Watchers craziness with pushing the GLP ones now. So anyway, it would be good even if we had a conversation to discuss or argue it in a nice way. So I'd love to get her up there. And uh, another one that I'd love to get up, I don't agree with, but I'd love to have the conversation is Dr. Gabor Mate. Like he's like the addiction prince, darling. You know, he's harm reduction. And it would just be a really interesting conversation, not necessarily to agree, but to challenge. Uh, But anyway, like Brene Brown and Gretchen Rubin, we're not big enough yet for them to want to talk to us, but they would be good to talk to and they would really help us. Similarly with Mark Hyman. One other that I'd like to see, because I just grew up with this guy, Stephen Fry. You know, he's the guy in England who's funny and he has his own addiction and food addiction story. And again, I can't penetrate through. I've managed to get his publicity team and they just say he's really busy. But anyway, if you look at him of late, it looks like he needs to hear our message. So I don't know. We'll just keep trying. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones there, man. Gretchen Rubin, that would that's near and dear to my heart for sure. Okay. How do you guys prepare for interviews and has the process changed over time? Well, I can certainly share how I used to prepare, which was freak out 
that, <laughs> write everything down and go directly on script. And I think I was just really anxious when we first started the podcast and I wanted all the questions to be the best questions and the guests to think they were so smart. And what I learned over time was that it's actually more important to me to get a question that is interesting for the listener and maybe will help them find some solutions to their problems. So now what I do prior to episodes, usually I listen to, if they have a book, I might listen to it on Audible or I might listen to their YouTube interviews or other podcasts so that I can come up with some questions that would benefit the audience. And then the day of the interview, I don't just freak out. (laughs) I have a better routine where now I'll usually do a morning walk. I might listen to one last interview with the guests where I really had some takeaways. And then I'll do like some hit exercise. I'll have my lion's mane coffee, maybe a cold shower. And I wear this Apollo neurofeedback and that really just kind of keeps me feeling stable, but it just feels so natural and normal now. This is hope for you, CJ, that in the beginning, it felt a little scary and intimidating to meet some of your heroes. And now it's like, you just realize that everyone's just human and that this is for the greater good rather than, you know, that fan girl way maybe I showed up in the first few episodes. I have no idea what you're talking about, Clarissa. Never showed up as a fangirl anywhere. Never. Mm -mm. No, I have no idea. (laughs) You guys only knew. Okay. So moving on to Molly. Yeah. I think I was a little nervous maybe for the first couple, but I'm really like, I'm in my element when I'm talking to people, I feel like. So I think in the beginning, I spent a lot of time pressuring myself to read like everybody's books, like front to cover, take all the notes, make sure I was, and realize like I was just putting too much pressure on myself. Not that their books aren't fantastic and not that I don't want to like, and mostly it was because I wanted the guests to feel like they were important to me because they are important to me. But what I've learned to do over time, and actually one of my funnest, like my favorite ways to get ready for an interview is I like to go and find their most recent interviews in the last you know, a few months, if there's been many of them or the last few years. And I like to hear what kinds of questions other people ask them. And then I listen for their answer. Do they actually answer the question? And if not, like, am I interested enough in that question? Is it important enough? Or do I think it's important to our audience, the Food Junkies audience to know the answer to that question? And if they didn't answer it, I'm going to ask it again. And maybe I'm going to ask it in a different way. But honestly, if you guys haven't figured this out by now, just knowing me, I'm more of like a like roll with it, like, you know, like fly by the seat of my pants kind of person. I like to have questions ahead of time for the guest because I think they like that. But honestly, I love just having the conversation and like asking them like to dig a little bit deeper when they've answered something. Maybe they haven't done it enough or maybe it makes me think of something else and we get off on a different topic. So I do prepare myself. Absolutely. But honestly, my favorite is just having a conversation with somebody which doesn't take a whole lot of preparation. It just means I have to be a good listener and I have to ask questions that, you know, are purposeful to the guest. And honestly, my favorite thing to hear from a guest is that they really enjoyed our questions that we asked really good. You know, like it's like my favorite compliment for sure. So so I don't think we're going to change or I'm not going to change what I'm doing because I strive for that compliment. Absolutely. (laughs) but I do like it a little more relaxed. What about you, Vera? Yeah, actually, I was going to lead with that. The thing that I like the most is when people say, like Gary Tobe said it, actually, 
you know, he, your questions were really good. I actually found this interesting to talk because, you know, people are doing podcasts and they're like exhausted. I know I feel that way. It's like, oh God, the same information. But if we read and know the information, we can ask those questions. And I know all of us prepare well. It's not just that we look on the internet, you know, for 20 minutes before and then, you know, got an idea of what questions to ask. I read at least one or two or three of the books ahead of time just so I get a feeling and a sort of intuitive sense of that person so I can fly off the seat. I mean, I don't. I have all sorts of questions that I have as a template ready to go because I want to ask questions that are beyond the superficial, which is where a lot of podcasts go. They land. I want to ask at a deeper level, you know, how does this pertain to food addiction and how does this pertain to that person's mindset and food addiction? And I think we get there. I think we land at that place quite often. And anyway, so that's how I prepare. Thank you. We're getting close to the end now, but I really am excited about the next couple of questions. In what way do you think your podcast has made a positive influence on your audience? I think this one is, it feels like an easy answer for me because I've had so many people tell me that it has validated their experience that they spent so long seeking professional help and it wasn't helping and it and that their helpers weren't listening. And I think this has allowed people to embrace their truth and say that it's okay if these foods don't work for me, I don't have to eat them. And that there's nothing wrong with that. And that doesn't make me have an another eating disorder that that can just be it can be a very loving choice to remove these foods from the way that I live my life and then also in doing that like how the heck do I do that now well we help them provide that with the support and I think through the podcast it has connected so many people to Vera's Facebook group where they can in real time get support and they've got a community, which we know is essential in recovery. And also we've had so many people reach out, whether one-to-one coaching or join Sweet Sobriety. And that has just helped them like find some additional answers. It's given them the courage to seek the help that they need and to fight for their recovery that I think can be defeating if we feel like we're all alone. Thank you. That's awesome. What about you, Molly? Yeah, I would say the same. I mean, every day or close to every day, I get some kind of message either from somebody I'm working with or just a complete stranger who will email me or say to me in passing or in session, like, I'm a listener of the podcast. Thank you so much. It's amazing. It's been so helpful. I love that we offer resources, right? So when people are in resource deserts, so to speak, right? Like they now have like these dietitians that we've interviewed that they can reach out to and ask for help because these people believe, not only do they believe their story of food addiction, but that like they actually treat it or research it or have worked with right kind of things. So I think that And not only then for the clients, but also for other professionals, you know, I've absolutely had clients say, Hey, I took this episode, this person, and I took it to my doctor, or I suggested that they listen to it. Or because I listened to that, I went and got that person's book, or I printed off this specific research paper, and I took it in with me when I went to my next visit, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that it's had a positive influence in that it has been a valuable resource, not only for clients, but also for professionals to get more information, to open their minds, to realize there's more than one way, give people a voice. I think there's a lot of benefit to this podcast and I hope that it continues to be a positive influence for, you know, seasons to come. Yeah. 
Okay, Vera, you're up. Okay, all right. So eight, nine years ago, when I published my book for the first time, people would, and I would speak wherever I could, people would say, wow, wow, this is true. You're right. This makes so much sense. What do we do now? And I would kind of go, I don't know. And since then, a great deal to do with the podcast, exactly what Molly said, we're building a recovery resource platform. And I couldn't do that then because there wasn't one, but there is one now. And I think we've been very instrumental in bringing that in. So the podcast, one of the compliments that I get, like I see it on the Facebook group all the time, is people saying, if you're struggling, listen to the podcast one every day. Like they use it as a recovery tool, like people use AA podcasts for their stuff. Ours is probably, I know there's a couple of others, but I think we're, I don't know, we're the best, but we're definitely up there as a recovery tool. So that's something I can say to a clinician when they say, what do I do? I say, tell your clients to listen to this on a regular basis. Listen to the first six before you toss it out, that sort of thing. So it's a recovery tool. Plus, we've developed this sort of universe of food addiction recovery that is the podcast. We interview the people there. We've got the Facebook group where there's, it's sort of like the clearinghouse of where you can find it. And then from there, people will get the free groups that exist. They'll get clinicians that exist. Like it, it's all part of this universe of food addiction recovery that we have developed. And the engine of the resources have come from the podcast. So I think it's a wonderful thing, which I hope we just continue to grow and grow and grow, which actually leads to the next question. So I'll stop and uh, we'll move on to the next question. All right. Perfect segue. Thank you, Vera. Are there any new segments, topics, or formats you're considering for the upcoming season? I'm really excited for our next season. And the topics that I'd really like to delve a little deeper into would be the things I think that are kind of speaking to my personal recovery right now, which is the nervous system regulation, embodiment practices, somatics, harm reduction. And I'm really curious. There's a lot of talk about psychedelics in the field right now. And I'd like to explore that a little deeper, you know, the pros, but also the risks and that this is not something to be done recreationally, but that we need to make sure if any of these things that we discuss, they're done in a proper clinical therapeutic setting with professionals, you know, that again, we just helped to give people insight. And I actually also love the conversation Vera had on the neurotheology that really opened my mind into exploring other regions of the brain, the parietal lobe specifically. I thought that that was fascinating. So I'd like to delve in a little bit more to understand all areas of the brain. Thanks, Clarissa. All right, Molly, what's it looking like for you? Yeah, I think I'm a mental health professional first. I mean, I'm dual licensed for both mental health and addiction, but I came into this world as a mental health professional first. Like that was my true passion. And then I added the addiction because I was already treating people with addiction. So it's like, here we go. And I think, you know, I don't know that a lot of people know that one in four people who have substance use disorder also have mental health concerns or some sort of mental health diagnosis. So I would love to see more conversation about that because I think we forget that complicates things, right? When we have a diagnosis like bipolar one or two, or we have a diagnosis like generalized anxiety disorder, that those can become stumbling blocks for our recovery. And when we hear these very staunch messages of, you know, just get the substance out and the rest of it will take, it'll take care of itself. 
and then people aren't getting better and then it can lead them to become, you know, like lose hope, that kind of thing. I really would like to cover more of that, talk more about that. I also am interested in the psychedelic field as well. That was something I was always interested in before I moved into this field. And now it's just, you know, like with time, things have progressed and it's looking a little more promising from a legal standpoint. So I'm definitely thinking about that. I'd also like in this season for our listeners to hear more from us. We're actual clinicians in the field and we treat people every day. We have a successful online platform treating people. Not that we need to talk about that specifically so much as like there are lots of topics that Clarissa and I can speak to. And I would love for our guests to hear more of that. Yeah, I think I'm just really open to more of the brain stuff that really gets me going and just learning about, you know, how we can not necessarily biohack, but like how we can stop fighting biology and like work with what we have. And are there little like lifestyle changes or behavioral changes that we can make that make this recovery journey just a little less difficult at times? you know, a little more enjoyable because I'm all about getting out there and living life. Like you were talking about having this big, beautiful life. Like I want that for everybody. And sometimes we have to cut through like shame and stigma and those kinds of things. So I would just love to like continue to do that in whatever way possible. Awesome. Thank you, Molly. Okay, Vera. All right. So to pick up from where I dropped off about the platform, our Food Junkies platform is building a resource base a resource universe, really, I like to envision. I'd like to see more of that. So, And as more clinical advances are advanced, that we can report on those so that we become a real clearinghouse of information about food addiction. It's not just a food addiction resource, which I want it to be for sure, but also a a place for clinicians to listen to so that it becomes like a must listen to on courses and stuff like that, which actually I've been told is on um, a course at least somewhere in some college program. So I'd like to see more of that. With the whole issue about marijuana and psychedelics, as I was telling Chrissy one time, not that long ago, you know, I'm an old acid head, I'm an old pothead, and it's like, I I don't want to go there. But Food Junkies podcast encourages me to keep an open mind to what information can be given about this. Like, I'm actually now, I wouldn't say 24 or 360, but I'm actually now really interested in what cannabinoid research comes out because it's going to tell me about the endocannabinoid system, not so that I can prescribe cannabis or or CBD, but it'll teach me about it because I think there's a lot that we don't know. So, and similarly with the psychedelics, like what will it tell us about the brain that we didn't know before because all we were doing was hammering it to get high? And there's actually more to it. So I'm interested in that angle. And then the third thing that I would really like to see, and I think will happen, is food addiction is a private issue. It's the personal is political. It's also a political issue. And we've been addressing that with the talking to the people that are in the food industry, studying it like Omos and Mantolican, but more about how can we now resist big food? What can we do? We always ask that question, and I think it's going to become ever more important to be aware of the political angle, because we can have a voice as we get bigger and bigger and are more widely respected, that we can actually have a voice, at least if nothing else, to rephrase some of the food norms that exist right now in society, like it's okay to eat like crazy on Halloween, that no, there is actually another norm, which is that we don't have to do it that way. We can do it a different way, a food sugar-free way. That's it. Thank you, Vera. Okay, guys, I'm going to throw a 
pop question at you just because, you know, now I'm the host. So if your body or spirit could speak, what would it say about the changes you have made on your journey? I think my body and spirit would thank me unconditionally because my body, I'll start with that. I can actually be in my body now, which I was never able to do before. I certainly was someone who would practice body violence, whether it was over exercising, whether it was, you know, binging, purging, all of those things. And by being able to eat real food and not constantly worry about weight or just know that this food was nourishing me. I was able to let go of the scale, like, and not constantly need to think about surface body compared to like being in body that has been a huge transformation for me through being on this recovery journey. I think being in my spirit has opened me up to I don't think I was able to access my spirit when I was in addiction. And I think now I connect on a daily basis. Meditation was a struggle for me. Journaling, like you said, like I told Molly several times, you know, she used to start groups with meditation. And I would be like, nope, doing something else, like not paying attention. And now our sweet sobriety members know that I start each group with meditation and like I need it and I do it in my free time. And I never thought that that would be somewhere where I would be able to be. And I think from my spirit is also at ease now where I used to need to force things. I used to, you know, need to control things. And now I'm able to just embrace the suck. As Molly said, sometimes I don't always have to be happy and like, you know, the life of the party I can just show up and be who I am and that's okay with me. And then that's that authenticity. I think I've been craving my whole life and never definitely had as a child and definitely appreciating in adulthood. Awesome. All right, Molly. Oh my God, this is such a woo-woo question. Okay, to quote Eminem, right? I can't tell you what it really is. I can only tell you what it feels like. I don't know that I have like language really, But a lot like Clarissa, I think that it's, you know, this journey has just allowed me to be more authentically me. And if anybody knows me and like truly knows me, like I value honesty and integrity and justice. Like I just have these very like strong values of like these very like authentic things. And it has allowed me to just lean into that no matter how much it has sucked along the way, you know, whatever, because life is still happening again. Like we can take the food out. We can take the booze out. We can take the narcotics out. we can take it out. But like ultimately it is a soul issue. It is a, a life issue, right? Like there's all kinds of things that still have to repair and we have to let go of or whatever it is we have to do. And it's just allowed me to do that over the last six, seven years, whatever it's been at this point, I don't even remember. (laughs) And I don't do math anyway. So, you know, I think there are no words and I know no matter what I say, somebody's not going to believe me, but I will stand on this side of that and try to tell you, come on over the water's warm, you know, whatever, come on over to the light side. It's worth it. And until you can believe me, I'm here holding space anyway. So I wouldn't have been able to do that fully without 
being on this journey. Thank you, Molly. I love that. That was awesome. Okay, Vera. Yeah, those are great answers. Very thoughtful answers. When I discovered food in a bad way, the thing that I noticed that I was robbed was my peace of mind. My mind was always tied around food, either how much I could eat, how I had to burn it off, how I had to do whatever. It was just, that was it. And life was in the background and that was in the foreground. And when food finally took a back seat, it's still there. It's still there a hundred percent, but it's in the background and sometimes really far in the back. And if it's getting closer to the forefront, I know, I know that I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired, something, something. So it's now a signal for distress as opposed to the distress. And what I would attribute to what my body is thankful for is that I get peace of mind, or maybe it's not peace of mind, but I get to think about something else other than food. I get to be distressed about life as opposed to this artificially contrived reality of how much can I eat and how much do I have to burn off and all that kind of stuff. It's in the background. I'm still a food addict. It's still an engine that's idling. I'm forever respectful of that. And I don't let it take too much space, but it's the space to live life outside of food as opposed to it dominating. I'd say that that's the main thing. And then the journey itself that it has honed in. I'm a very intense, passionate person, intense person, whatever. And it's allowed me to hone that intensity rather than it eating me up with, oh my God, I've lost, I've got to lose it. Like all my passion was good stuff, good juice was dispersed into nonsense. Whereas now I can hone it in. And I would at least encourage anybody. Yes, I like Molly's, the water's warm over here. I'll hold the water, I'll hold the space. And also that it's actually, this is where life is. Like you don't know life until you can have it on this side right there. That's what I'm going to say. Come over to our side. We're holding it for you. And we want to show you what it can look like. That's awesome. I loved all of your answers. I like that holding space for you. And it is, it is an amazing life on the other side of food addiction. I feel very blessed and honored to be able to share this time with you guys. This has been amazing. Thank you. And welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah, welcome to the team. Yes, we look forward to hearing your interviews. And I heard a rumor that you're going to start with us. Is that true? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. This will be good because even though I've known you guys for a while, I don't know your personal story. So I'm looking forward to interviewing each and every one of you. And I'm so excited about it. Thank you. Awesome. Well, stay tuned for 2024 Food Junkies Recovery from Food Addiction Stories with CJ will be starting in January. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us this week on Food Junkies Recovery from Food Addiction. Make sure to join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group. I'm Sweet Enough. You can subscribe to our show in iTunes or Stitchers. That way you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Dr. Tarman's book, Food Junkies, which is available on Amazon. If you have any additional questions, both Molly and Clarissa are food addiction professionals and work one-on-one with clients. You can find their websites and email addresses in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Friday when our new episodes drop. As Vera loves to say, the power is ours.